The Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Hello, welcome along to the Magic Book Club podcast. Tom Price here with the podcast where we find out exactly what makes our favourite authors put pen to paper or, you know, I guess fingertips to keyboard. On this episode, we're joined by absolute writing icon Marianne Keys. Absolutely fantastic. We love Marianne Keys. Uh, and also the mind behind fantastic new debut space hopper, a lady called Helen Fisher. So sit back, uh, make yourself a cup of tea or something stronger if you want. That's, that's very much your decision. Or spark up that treadmill in the garage if you're feeling really brave and we will find out just what makes these authors tick as you go about your day. Okay, first up today then, we are joined by the very, very magnificent uh, human being uh, behind 18 books that we know and love, from anybody out there to this charming man. Uh, Marion is a British staple uh, to our bookshelves. Please welcome the wonderful Marion Keys. Hello, Marion Keys. How are you? I'm fine, Tom. It's lovely to talk to you. You have the most calming, beautiful voice. I will take that and run with it. Thank you. Marianne. Oh, That's do. Kind of you. But I'm, I'm neither a calm nor a beautiful person. That's the only problem. Well, you sound like one, and frankly, that's good enough for me at the moment. <laughs> that's my new Twitter biog sorted. There we are, done. Um, Marriott, listen, I finished. I finished Grown Ups last night, and I absolutely. Thank you. I I delayed watching a box set with my wife. She had to sit there sulking at the end of the sofa. I was like, No, I've got really. To book it to me. I was I was in the lighthouse, Matt. It was the lighthouse bit. I hope that's oh. not a spoiler. But- <laughs> It was wonderful. Thank it was you. wonderful. Um, so this, we're celebrating the the, the paperback uh, launch of the book. How does it feel when the paperback comes out? Because it must be about a billion years ago that you actually wrote this book. Now, I mean, it was it, it was yeah. I it came out in hardback a year ago, and I finished it about six months before that. Um, no, do you know what? It feels absolutely lovely to get to talk about it again and to revisit it. And um, yeah, I, I, it was a book that I kind of I really loved writing and I was very, very fond of the characters in it. So, no, I'm glad to be back there. Mm, the characters are fantastic. I mean, it's just I love all of them, maybe apart from Liam. But, yes. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not the first to point that out. But that is something which it's so hard to do. Like thinking of stuff to happen in a book is one thing, but to be able to, to create people and so efficiently like these these guys say three words at the beginning and i know who they are and i like them and i want to know more about them how how do you how do you have that knack how do you develop that knack how do you keep that knack i mean thank you so much uh the thing is like a, a lot of people think you know writing novels is some sort of mystical process um and that the, the you know the magic novel just arrives into your the tips of your fingers and you type it and it's not it's not that at all like people hate me when I tell them it's hard work but that's kind of a lovely thing to hear because it means that anybody can write a novel and create characters that are believable or likable or dislikable or whatever um so I, I spend a lot of time on my characters and I think it helps if you're like me if you are very interested in people also it really really helps if you were the weirdo at school who was always an outsider you know so when you have that kind of distance on the rest of the world you have no choice but to kind of observe people and 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 see what makes them tick because that's kind of that's about the most fun you're going to have on a particular day so it's it's down to kind of I suppose your basic personality type and you know time and time again like I hit walls with characters that I'm creating and thinking oh my god no they just sound like they are so wooden and ridiculous and nobody would speak like that in real life and so then I ask myself well yeah but what would they say you know what would they say find it and make them say it so just just keep at it until 
you believe them. It also helps if you like them a little bit, um, mm. apart from one or two. You have to have a couple of baddies. Um, but even they have to be sort of fairly well-rounded. Yes, yeah. I, I think uh, I love the thing about the weirdo. The weirdos will inherit the earth. Let's just... Yes, we will. Well, it's... I'm including you in that, Tom. I, oh, totally. I may be yeah. making, making a terrible mistake. <laughs> no, you're definitely not. It's, I'm slightly concerned because my kids seem to be fitting in at school. And I'm like, boys, you need to be weirdos. The weirdos, are the, they're the best ones. They're the yes. weirdos. Yes, yes. Yeah, we're playing the long game, Tom. We really are. <laughs> oh, true. yes, you might have your very happy childhood and your wonderful teenage years and often your gap years around the world with your loving friends. Ha ha! We're biding our time here alone <laughs> in our bedrooms. It's the pain that will make us win. Um, oh, yes. But, and, 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 there's, and there's a lot of painful things that happen in this book. So there's some real um, tragedies that happen way before the book starts. Obviously, the uh, the loss of Jesse's husband. Um, that is the sort of shadow that's across the whole book how do you begin to 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 write about that the the impact that has on someone it's such a huge thing and it's so hard to do it without being trite and cliche and you avoid those things magnificently but how, how do you approach it I mean, thanks. I suppose I just feel that everybody goes through stuff. There isn't a single one of us that hasn't suffered some sort of loss or some sort of, you know, incredible shock and and I think most people manage to exist alongside it. Um, I think, you know, we are always altered by whatever that big thing is. But most of us manage to keep going. I just it, I think that's how human beings are built. We're built to accommodate tragedy in some way. Um, and yeah, Jessie's first husband died. But I mean, Jessie in particular, I, I loved her because she's so different to me. Like she is she's a survivor. You know, she's a toughie, you know, and she absolutely she doesn't believe in self-pity. I'm not saying that, you know, my God, like if somebody has been bereaved, feel whatever you, you feel, my God, and my heart goes out to you. But she is just one of those. It's almost like she's slightly unimaginative. And that's mm. in a way her saving grace. And I don't think you can. I don't think anybody can really write a novel where it's good things all the time. You know, I woke up and something amazing happened and then another amazing thing happened. I drove in my gorgeous car to my fabulous job where everybody loves me. I'm never stressed. I get paid so much, you know, but like page four, like it's like, I hate you. I absolutely hate you. And I really hope something terrible happens to you. And I don't want to read you about you anymore until that terrible thing happens. Where's the bad stuff? Where's the bad stuff? Where's the bad stuff? Give me the bad stuff. That's why the Bible was so good. that you're absolutely right they didn't stint on the old disasters you know and look it's what the most read book in the world there you are huge the numbers great numbers for themselves yeah. yes <laughs> yeah no everybody's everybody suffers in some way or another and i think reading about it is both comforting and and it's also just a kind of a reminder that this is how life is yeah, and it makes you feel better about your own life. It makes you feel comforted by what's going on with other people. And I think I think one of the stories we should really, really hone in on it is uh, is Kara, and you you take on the story of Kara's eating disorder, and um, that is you know I'm lucky enough to. I don't know anyone in my life who's had that. It's not something I've got any familiarity with at all. But that I've 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 gleaned a whole new understanding from Kara's story. It feels like it feels like a really important one. Yeah, um, she suffers from bulimia and. In a way, bulimia, I mean, I mean, all addictions are horrible things to live with and eating disorders in particular, because, you know, a, 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 a person with an eating disorder has to engage with the the object of their agony, you know, every single day. Yeah. But 
with people at the extremes of eating disorders, you know, um, people who have anorexia to people who have compulsive overeating tendencies, it's hard. It, you know, their their illness is visible on their body. Whereas with bulimia, you can survive and you can hide in plain sight for years and years because most bulimics through huge hidden efforts manage to stay at a fairly regular weight. And it just means that they're their awful secret hell goes on for much, much longer. Um, and, you know, any addict, it's I mean, and I speak for one myself, like I'm a, a recovering alcoholic, the secrecy and the shame is the killer. You know, it is so incredibly difficult to have this whole. It's very hard work being an addict, you know, planning when you're next going to manage, like in Cara's case, a binge and a purge, um, trying to keep the people she loves from finding out about it. And it interferes with interpersonal relationships because for Cara, her, I mean, she and she and Ed, her husband, like they are a real love match. But when she's in the throes of her addiction, her her addiction matters more to her than than he does. And so I mercifully have been lucky enough to have been spared that. But I researched it thoroughly because I wanted to do it justice and I wanted to treat it tenderly because, you know, and accurately, because somebody who goes through this, it's a very difficult and painful way to live. Um, the only thing is, I, I, I know two people and they have recovered from from bulimia. So I felt kind of I felt OK to write about it because I felt I could be hopeful when um, when I was writing about it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's I mean, the, the, the information that you impart to us about it, things like um, it's said again and again, it, it, it could kill you. This thing could kill you. you know, she, mm. I, I have this slightly stereotyped image in my head of, of anorexia thin. That is that is what leads to, you know, disaster. But with bulimia, it, it's it's not quite that. It's different. And and this idea that she could, she could have died doesn't mean just because she wasn't wasting away and tiny doesn't mean she wasn't mm. very 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 dangerously ill and that was really alarming to me it really shook me yeah um because of the you know the continued stress that is put on the body from the purging yeah. like um she could have had a heart attack like it happens <sighs> yeah yeah um so so Cara's story is obviously a very important one and and also it's um at the heart of the story is three brothers and as one of three mm. brothers I, I love the Ooh. way that the, I love the I mean I think <laughs> the way the three brothers they don't really talk to each other at any, but they have the most cursory uh, uh, sort of blunt conversations with each other and I was like yeah I I, I see that <laughs> I see that and I, yeah. I definitely reflect that yeah um I have two brothers and two brothers-in-law and mm. I just I think the way men communicate is very different to the way women communicate I I mean from the way I see it men communicate by insulting each other um you know that they they, they make mock that like uh you know their football team lost or that you know something went wrong with their car um yeah. but nevertheless nevertheless I think of when it comes down to it like that men are actually there for each other they just don't excavate emotions the way women do that's my experience anyway um yes yes that me too i would definitely go with that if i opened up with emotions to my brother the, the, <laughs> like, the look i'd get tom are you I mean, all right just, yeah 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 lie down most, lie down yeah I, i'm i am the flighty actor at the three of us the other two are like these repressed ultra ultra british oh, kind of right feeling that would result in that would result in them just walking out of the room they'd rather just take yeah. the piss out of my haircut and move yeah. on 
Um, yes. The, 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 so, I mean, that is the, the male relationships in the story, obviously important. But the, the, the thing that sort of uh, that I loved about this and found fascinating and is, is a, such a, a resonant topic is the, the judgment on women. Like men can get away with so much stuff, and we'll get onto that. But the way that that women are judged for their, uh, in Jesse's case, maybe their, their career, um, mm. when she picks up with Johnny, it, it, it's it's all about her uh, moving on to Johnny. Johnny doesn't seem to get any blame, particularly. It's all about her choices. Uh, Cara feels judged at work. There, there seems to be this almost this Mission Impossible. You know, like Tom Cruise when he's in Mission yeah. Impossible and he's going through all the laser beams. It, yes. it just there's something that that image just kept popping up into my head. It just the, the network of judgment that goes on for women. Yeah. It just it it was terrifying to read that. Yeah, I mean, I think public ownership has taken of women's appearance. Um, oh. uh, you know, it happens so so all the time, whatever the word is, um, ubiquitously <laughs> that we don't even notice it. You know. Like women will get the scan if their skirt is too tight, you know, hmm. if their if their lipstick is too bright, you know, if it, 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 you know, it's very often about weight, um, you know, or dressing too young for their age. But like you're absolutely right, like there are kind of it's death by a thousand cuts, yeah. and most women are so used to it that we barely, I mean, we barely register it on an indi- on individual basis, but you know. We kind of scurry through the streets in a fairly haunted way, I feel. Um, the only thing is, I do think it's getting better. I think younger women, like especially those under 30, are are, um, are approaching it differently and saying, like, don't you dare judge me. You know, don't yeah. you dare have an opinion on whether I've lost weight or put on weight. Um, it's none of your business. And I love that. Yeah. Uh, I have a niece who's 20 and, you know, I get so much courage from her. Um, you know, and the way, like, if a woman becomes pregnant, everybody is, oh, she's very big for six months. You know, she'd really want to watch eat, you know, whatever she's eating. She'd want to knock it off. You know, uh, everyone has an opinion. And, yes. you know, and even that thing of, you know, people saying to you, you've lost weight. That's meant to be a compliment. Like if anybody ever says that to me and believe me, it's rare. Um, my heart sort of, I don't know, bleeds because I feel like, oh, I see you've been weighing me with your eyes all this time. And now because I had a bout of gastroenteritis, you know, (laughs) I have temporarily lost a pound and a half. And suddenly you're behaving as if I should be carried, you know, on people's shoulders through through cheering crowds like it's so wrong. It's gross, isn't it? The moment when someone says to Cara, well, you haven't lost much weight. I mean, that was just oh. Yes. Mom. Yes. Oh, yeah, you're a failed bulimic. Oh. <laughs> I had that was a that was a definite stop moment. Every now and again in this book yeah. you have these stop moments where you look up. Um but you're right there is hope and and and, and there is hope in in the long, younger generation. Um and also, I guess not to be too cheesy about it, but the 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 hope and the love in this book is is everywhere. The the all the interrelationships, all the the young children Thank everywhere. You. The, the all this this cross network of family is beautiful. Because I'm one of those people. My wife isn't. She's a complete cantankerous old hermit, and she comes. She's an only <laughs> child. She's a tiny family, and she we got married years ago, and suddenly she started having to come on all these massive uh, family holidays with all my brothers yeah. and their kids and stuff like that. I love all this stuff. Was it a joy to write about all those big family events? Tom, it was a total, total joy. Like I have, um, 
I'm from a family of five, which feels kind of small by Irish standards. But like we are all big personalities and we do. We go on holiday together. You know, I love my nieces, my nephews, my in-laws like and we travel kind of en masse, like as a mm. posse. And <laughs> and I love the mix of ages. Like I have a, a the youngest nephew is a year. My oldest niece is 20. And yeah. I just adore them and I adore my brothers and sisters-in-law and I just I I love the idea of a big, huge, messy family where you're allowed to not like everybody. Um, but there's always somebody there to talk with. And yeah, I loved writing all these scenes and I loved writing all the interactions. And um, as you know, you read to the end, you read to the lighthouse scene, lighthouse scene. Something happens that probably wasn't meant to have happened, but I'm so delighted it did um, because I'm such an old romantic, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've got to have that. We have to have mm. we have to have that icing icing on the yes. cake. No, not even nice. That's like the bow on the icing on the cake at the end. We've got to have that. We've got to have Thank that. Thank you. Um, it's, I tell you what, the sign that I love this book, Marion, is the fact that as soon as I finished it, I was like, I said to my wife, you, you need to read this now because we need to talk oh. about it. It's like, I need to talk about these characters, uh, it, that that connection with those characters. It's rare to, to get that, you know, these days. It's 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 so enjoyable. Thank you. I loved it. I loved it. Um, so talk to me about, um, when we've talked about the, you know, loving all the, the extended family and all that stuff. That must have made uh, the last however many years lockdown's been, 45 years. B- yes. particularly hard and, and tricky how have you how have you navigated lockdown how have you got through it oh i mean it has been really hard we were allowed to go away in the summer we were um um we had i don't know about three weeks where suddenly things were okay so mm. we went to Kerry to a hotel in Kerry for a week 15 of us went and honestly the memories of that have kept me going you know yes. but like i haven't like my poor mother hasn't left the house since mid-December. Like I missed them terribly. Um, you know, and I I live with my husband, so like, you know, we're allowed to hug each other. But I feel for people who who are being deprived of affection, you know, and sometimes, um, but we're not even allowed to do this anymore in Ireland. Sometimes the nieces and nephews would come over and stand in the garden and we'd shout at each other that we loved each other. But we literally can't even visit each other in gardens at the moment. And because the weather has been so bad, uh, you know, going for walks in public places has been has been difficult. But, you know, spring is common. Yes, it is. We're into February already. And, you know, it's, it's really important to stay hopeful because... This this particular one, I think, has been extra grim. I you know for a, a, you know probably just attrition. We're just worn down mm. by it. Mm. Um, so we've got to stay hopeful. But yeah, yeah, it's been hard. You know, yeah. I hate I hate my house. You know, <laughs> I hate I hate my bedroom. Uh, I hate uh, you know all the familiar things. I you know I'm so lucky that I have somewhere to live, but I hate it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I your your, your partner becomes like a colleague as well. But Beth and I just walked past yeah, each other, like just you a polite again. nod. Hello, there, yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you think about how you might? I I know it's risky to insert this world into a novel. The last thing people are going to want to do is read about lockdown after it's happened. But do you, do you ever sort of think how how would I put this into fiction? How would I make this? Or is it a bit too real no. at the moment? Yeah. No way. <laughs> and you know, it. and when yeah, and when we come out of this, I never want it referred to ever again. Mm-hmm. It is going to be a uh, you know that terrible unpleasantness around there at the start of the decade. Uh, but we just don't refer to it. Yes. Um, it's going to be like some you know some awful secret that beastly business up at the hall. We just we're not going to t- talk about it 
ever again once it's so ha- over. Have you been have you been writing functionally? What I'm what I'm inching towards, Marion, is the big is yeah. the big boring question at the end, which is the what? Is, come on, what is next? What have you been working on? What's the plan, please? That's what. Okay, well, funnily enough, I, yeah, I I had started a novel before the current unpleasantness started, and mm. it, between the jigs and the reels, it's actually set in 2018 for reasons that would become clear. Now, uh-huh. I I mean, at some stage, it is going to have to actually come into the the present, and I don't know how I will deal with it then, but it will be briskly. Um, you know, when, when we get to this bit, but most of the action has taken to taken place two years ago, and that was just incredible good for. It's because I'm writing a sequel, um, okay. and it's the first sequel I've ever written, and it needed to be set in 2018 because it did. Well, was it um, the sequel too? Were you going? To, are you allowed to tell us which one it's a sequel to? Yeah, it's a sequel to Rachel's Holiday, which. Okay. Um, it was a book about a young woman who went to rehab for drug addiction, honestly thinking that there was nothing wrong with her. And by the end of her time, she realised how wrong she had been. And it was a book that meant an awful lot of, to a lot of people, especially those who um, who had maybe had parents who were addicts or alcoholics or, or people themselves who were going through. They suddenly got that kind of, oh, my God, moment. And it's it's a a lot of people feel affection for it. So I'm trying my best to not let them down as I as I write this new bit. It's an interesting theme, though, isn't it? The idea that that Rachel thought there's nothing wrong with her. Cara, Mm. similarly, you know, she says that a lot. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need. Yeah. But denial is a huge part of active addiction. You know, Mm. denial is a real thing. People think it's a. It, it, it's it's just an excuse almost when people are in the throes of an addiction they 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 have to protect it and you know because they don't want to stop so the best way to protect themselves is to tell themselves that it, this is temporary and it's not actually a problem and that when circumstances improve they'll be able to stop but it is really not a problem right now mm. and the idea that this addiction stays with you forever as well that's so important it, it, it is part of you and you have to you have to sort yeah. of take ownership of that. That's right. Yeah. And it's not that awful. Mm. You know, speaking as one who wakes up every day and says, well, I better take care of myself today. It's mm. really fine. You know, it, 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 like people with with diabetes take their insulin like it's it's perfectly manageable. Mm. When did you stop drinking? 27 years ago. <gasps> And it's still that, that my mum went through rehab twenty five years ago, and she still Go says on. it feels if yeah she says it feels as fresh today like it's still an everyday thing. Oh, it is. I mean, and that doesn't mean like it's a bad thing. It's mm. just important to remember that, like, you know, one the most important fact that I know about myself is that I'm an alcoholic, and that if I don't drink, I will have a wonderful life, and that I need to protect that sobriety, and then just everything is normal. Other than the fact that I don't drink, everything is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Marion, listen, I'm going to let you go back to back to lockdown. Sorry, it is back to lockdown. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and good luck with the the launch of the paperback of Grown Ups. It's a fantastic book, and um, it's just it is a it's a it's a character creating it's a storytelling masterclass. I absolutely loved it, Marion Keys. Thank you so much for coming on the Magic Book Club podcast. You're an angel. Thank you so much for having me. Isn't she marvellous? The fabulous Marianne Keys there on the Magic Book Club podcast. Okay, so next up on today's episode of the Book Club podcast here on Magic, we've got the fabulous debut novelist. She's only gone and written a time travel novel, which is, I mean, that's ticking already ticking a very big box for me because I love time oh, travel novels. Sense, so sorry about that. Uh, well, no, <laughs> well, thank you. 
<laughs> it's really right for me. The brilliant Helen Fisher um, and Space Hopper is out now. Uh, Helen, your debut novel. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. How does it feel? It feels amazing, but it's been such a long time getting to publication day that, um, uh, yeah, it's... it's um, you become sort of it all becomes quite surreal you do feel like you're looking in from through the window and going i think that's me that's happening to it's sort of uh, you become a bit removed from it but i feel great it's so it's so lovely it's um one of the first things i do these days when i'm doing these interviews i go and look at the acknowledgements before i start reading the book and it says when i was sick of rejections and put my manuscript in a drawer and cried myself to sleep until i came to terms with never getting published that's in the acknowledgements and i always think there's always there's always a fascinating story in the acknowledgements of a book always if you if you're ever browsing a book in a bookshop have a look at the acknowledgements because often there's a there's an interesting story in there tell us a bit about that this sounds like there was some elements of despair in this journey to publication for you yeah there was a, and i i always read the acknowledgements first i never understand how people don't but but i always yes. do as well yes and it's really inter- they're really interesting, aren't they? So um, I uh, wrote Space Hopper and I had written a novel the year before, which I sent out and then I kind of thought, oh, no, this isn't going anywhere. And I've had this other idea. So I wrote Space Hopper and um, sent it to an editor. I didn't have any money at the time, but I scraped together to send it to an editor just to get some professional feedback, I tweaked see. it a bit and then sent it out to agents. And... I I had read how hard it is to get an agent, so I knew that it was, you know, really, really difficult to get one, like almost impossible to get one. But I had real faith in my story. So I sent it out and I kept, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous and um, it's going to make me sound conceited and I'm not, but I just kept thinking, oh, this will land on someone's desk and there'll be like this dusty gold phone on the desk and they'll <laughs> they'll wipe it off and pick it up and go, I think we've found one, you know, <laughs> it's like that. I just... I just had this feeling that somebody was going to like it. But then I got my first rejection. And honestly, I felt like part of me died. And um, Mm. but I I kept hopeful. So between October and December 2018, I think I sent out about 17 um, to 17 agents and I got rejected. Mm. And every time I got rejected, I felt like I was I felt like I was standing in a massive hole and I was just having shuffleful after shovelful of dirt being thrown on me and, and I just got buried with it and I could not take the rejection anymore and I just thought I'm, I got it wrong it's not good enough I, I and I did and I cried myself to sleep for, for quite a while and mm. I just thought and I didn't want to write anymore either I just thought if I can't do it with this I, I thought this is the best I've got in me at the moment and if nobody wants it then then you know it's not going to happen but you'll have also read in the acknowledgements that um when I had given it up, I had a message from a friend uh, about two months later in February 2019. Now, she is the fiancé of my ex-husband. And wow. we haven't always got on, but we do get on really well. And she's a, She reads loads. And in the right. October, when I started sending the manuscript out, she asked if she could read it. Mm. And I said, oh, I'm not sure. She said, I won't tell anyone and I'll, you know, I'll burn it after reading and that kind of thing. She read it and she really liked it. She said some nice things. But in the February 2019, when I'd given up, she sent me a message saying, I've just read a book that makes me feel a bit like Space Hopper did. It's got a mother and daughter at the centre. It's got this 70s vibe. It's completely different from yours, but there was just something about it. Mm. And the next day when I was in Waterstones, I picked this book up, flipped to the back the acknowledgements just to see if the agent was mentioned and she was and I thought right I'll send it out one more time and I (gasps) sent it out to Judith Murray 
at Green and Heaton. And I'd looked her up and she was like this super agent. I thought, well, she's never going to, She's she's got so many submissions coming in. This is like less than a needle in a haystack kind of thing. And um, yeah. but I had a, yeah, she got in touch and that was, that was it. She did love oh, it. Oh, that's so lovely. Wow. Yeah. So you'd re- it had gone into the drawer and it was never coming back out again. Yeah, I mean, people don't put their manuscripts into drawers anymore because it's not actually paper, but, you know, I... <laughs> I yeah, I know, the metaphorical no, drawer. Yeah, no, I yeah. keep saying I put it in the drawer because that's yeah. what it felt like, and I, I locked it, and I um, I didn't swallow the key. I just put it in a, a really old pencil case I never used, you know, metaphorically, and, um, yeah. yeah, and I felt very sad about it. Very, very, very sad. But um, yeah. Yeah, I was very lucky, and I think that there is some luck and some fate and timing and... Um, yeah, you've got to get the right agent, and everybody says it, but it's so important. Yeah. You've got, but that sounds like you know that's tactics, that's strategy. You've got to you've got to think about it like that in those terms of looking at the book and looking who the agent is, and that's that's all to the good. But there is a bit of luck. There's also a whole heap of talent, which you've obviously got in spades, Helen, because it's a gorgeous book. Congratulations! Oh, thank it is you really. So much. Really, I'm really enjoying it. Let's talk first of all, and you've already, I hope this is okay to say, you've already mentioned your ex-husband and, mm-hmm. you know, that's your that's your personal private life. And yet in this book, there's a lot of stuff about parenting. Uh, mm-hmm. Faye uh, is, um, her, her mum, Jeannie, was a single parent. It, this must have been an important part of you, an important part of your story to tell in this book. Yeah, I think I realised that retrospectively. Oh. All those, you know, um, I, and I think sometimes, you know, this must happen to you know you sometimes you consciously write about things that you know and sometimes it's going to come out unconsciously and when I looked back I thought <laughs> I mean I had an interview the other day and someone said that um, he was really quite wound up by Eddie because Eddie was this perfect bloke and I thought yeah but I could write a perfect bloke I wrote a, I wrote this lovely husband you know and um, uh, you know that was that was kind of that was almost purposefully done but the interesting thing was that um, lots of people have, I mean, I wrote it in the first person and mm. Faye is probably the closest in age to me to any of the other characters. So if I'm like anyone, annoying as she can be, I, I am more like Faye than anyone and people have said that. But my son read the book and my oh, son yeah. is, uh, he's 11 now, but he was 10 when he read it. And he said he, that I was like Jeannie. He thought I was much more like Jeannie than I was like Faye, which... Um, uh, I found quite interesting and I, I don't really know why he felt like that. Maybe because I am a single parent or um, I don't know. But yeah, there, there is a lot of parenting in it. And I don't know if you like, you kind of um, fill the holes that you might have had in your own experiences or um, yeah, but there, you're right. There is a lot of parenting and I've never really thought about that. It's the first time I've been asked about parenting. Well, it's it's a, it's a lovely scene that's leaping out for me as I read it. And maybe it's just because I'm a, you know, uh, currently parenting in lockdown and, yes. you know, reading this book and seeing the, just the importance of, you know, time with your kids. So, so, so to explain, Faye, it sounds crackers, but it works. She gets in a box and goes back in time. I mean, that's basically yeah. it, isn't it, Helen? That's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when she goes back in time, the first thing she thinks is, She's missing her kids. She's missing that con- that connection with her kids. And then she sees herself as a kid and there's all sorts of childhood and parenting. And I'm reading this book and I'm suddenly like, I need to go and spend time with my kids. You just have this, it, you know, it connects with you. It connects with, well, the whole book is just brimming with love, isn't it? It is. It, it is brimming with love. That's that's what people have said. And I'm glad that that comes across. It's, it's interesting. I was talking about this. I was talking about this earlier today, which is really weird. Um, when Faye goes back in time and she's missing her kids, she says something along the lines of, you know, she's used to being perhaps away from them 
for a, a, a night or a, a weekend or something like that. Yeah. She And she, but this isn't like being even in a different country to your children. This is, you know, you're in a different time, which removes you like that extra step. And um, my God, my ex-husband's getting a lot of air on here. But when we, when we first split up and he took them on holiday with like mm. his side of the family, you know, I, I just wanted somebody to shoot me with a tranquilizer gun because I had never been in a different country to my children. I'd always yeah. been able to see them with my own two eyes and um, or at the very least, you know, drive 10 minutes and there they were. But yeah. to, to know that I was hours away from them in a different country, in a different time zone, I found that traumatizing. And I think when I was writing that bit about her going back and missing her children, I sort of, I probably drew on that a little bit. The thought of being not only not sure she wasn't in a different country she was in the same country but you know so far removed she might have different been worlds. a different planet different worlds yeah different yeah worlds, exactly yeah. exactly yeah. it is um but that's what's so sort of weirdly heartwarming about it is that, you know that there's people are missed like limbs you know she misses her mother like missing a limb she's missing her kids like missing a limb she she even misses her her people the people who become her foster parents you know she and and in that absence in that noting that absence we feel the love it's a weird thing isn't it when you when you acknowledge someone's absence you realize how much your life is defined by those people being with you kind of thing yeah the measure of love is loss so yeah, well, exactly um you know you know that old cliche you don't know what you've got till you've lost it although i like to think that i i want to live my life knowing what i've got and knowing how it would feel if I, I, I don't feel like I need to lose the things in my life that I love in order to be able to appreciate them. But I think that it is quite a common thing that you, you really don't. And perhaps during this whole lockdown, um, you know, everybody's assessing what it is that they really, really are missing just from their daily lives, not, not in terms of death necessarily, although for some people that is going to be the case. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of daily life, we're, we're starting to it's very sharp focus, you know, the people that we miss, the yes. people we want to hug, that sort of and thing. I- I think we often lose ourselves in fiction, much like this, because, you know, this is a slightly weird thing to say, but I've often pondered in a very theoretical way, what would a ne- people who've had near-death experiences, who then have this post-experience, post-life of being living for the moment, living living each day as it comes, they 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 are so full of of, of life because they they nearly lost it. And I do, I do think that sometimes we read novels like this to to scratch that itch and to sort of what would it be like if we had this sense of having lost everything or or reconnecting with stuff that we had assumed we'd lost forever. And it's such a great fantasy to read to read this character Faye go on that journey. Did you did you enjoy going on that journey with her? Was it was it an escapist experience for you as the writer to do that? Um, God, it was a really. Um... I haven't lost my parents, but I have, you know, I've experienced loss like most people have. Mm. Um, And I wrote it because I started writing it with this idea that, you know, I I had friends who'd lost their parents or their mum when they were little. And now they were getting to that age where they had children of the same age they were when they lost their mum. And then they were also getting to that age where they were they were older than their mum had ever got to be. And I Mm. kind of thought, wouldn't it be lovely? And they were having a bit of a crisis. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice for them to be able to talk to their mum now as an adult? So um, that was that was kind of why I wrote it. So when Faye goes back and has that opportunity, um, I did enjoy it, but I didn't really 
know what to do. I found myself up against a brick wall because I haven't lost a parent. So I couldn't imagine, well, what would be the first thing that you would want to do? And I, I spend a, or what would you ask them? And I think there's quite a lot in the book about, you know, her um, kind of having this dilemma, you know, do I, what do I try and find out from my mum while I've got this opportunity? And, um, you know, that's a big question for her. And it's explored in quite some detail. And um, yeah, but I was a, a slightly at a loss. You know, there were, there were many a time where I sort of just, um, you know, I'd have to sit there with my eyes shut and think, what would I do? What would I really, really do? Yeah. And if people ask me who I would go back and see who's died, I find that a very hard question to answer because, you know, who would you see and what would you ask them when you got there? I just I know. never know. But this is why we need this is why we need good writers to take us on that journey, which is what you're doing. I'm fascinated by the idea of you, you know, trying to think of, of that. What happens if I walk into to you know, I'm walking into your study, Helen, you're writing away. What do what do I see? Are you like is your face scrunched up? Are you looking out the window? Are you are you checking Twitter? What what is happening? Are you enjoying this process or is it just like a you know, a really painful labour? Oh God, it's all those things. So I look really calm and I look like I know what I'm doing. That's how I actually come across but i don't know if you ever watched the durrells did you ever watch i the love durrells? the um, durrells I okay love so it. you know lawrence durrell who's um, obviously a famous author um yeah. and you know how he's kind of i picture him sort of wandering around um his room with a, like a long silky dressing gown um hair looks like he's like been dragged through a bush and he's smoking <laughs> furiously in my head that is me that is what i'm doing <laughs> and when i'm thinking about going to my computer that's what I look like to myself. Right. But I don't. But but nobody else would see that. So I I'm like um, I'm paddling furiously under the water, and I quite enjoy the process. But it's also a bit like, it's I just have to get it out, and I'm I feel happier when it's out. So sometimes I'm writing it. I'm thinking, I, this is okay. This is going mm. all right. I think this is all right. And then I step away from my computer, and all of a sudden, it's all complete shit. It's <laughs> it just crumbles yeah i go back to the computer and i read a bit and i go no no it's okay and then i move slightly back and it's a bit it's a bit like mm. when you're having an eye test and you can see okay at one point it's moved back slightly and it all goes wrong it's mm. like that so, so it must be so um, it must be so wonderful for you when you've got this end result and you've got quotes from people like marianne keys who we've just heard from of course on this oh. very episode marianne keys oh. loves the book i mean that's that's oh. an absolute win helen i'd retire right now <laughs> i think i should I think I should quit while I'm ahead. That was amazing. When her quote came in, I, it was not just the quote, it was the thought of her reading my book. The thought of her, like, sitting there with my book. Because I've got this kind of fantasy of walking down a street or in an airport lounge, like anyone's ever going to do that again. But I just mm-hmm. have uh, somebody, like, reading my book and going over and going, I-, I-, I wrote that book, can I have a selfie with you? But yeah. the thought of marrying Keith, you know, reading it just yeah blew my mind a little bit so you know what all the these writers like you who go on these huge journeys these these you know faced with the their novel living in a drawer and hiding away forever and ever once it's out there you have every right to dance around and basically have a one-woman parade wherever you see your book i know and you know what just i've i've browsed through bookshops and i pick up a book and i put it down i pick it up and i put it down every time you pick it up and put it down what you're forgetting is that there is like a human being who's at home probably in complete turmoil that the fact that yes. someone's picked their book up off a shelf and gone nah i don't think so what's next what's <laughs> exactly. next you know exactly, nah. exactly. Sounds, exactly. doesn't sound like my sort of cup of tea 
yeah no i just i think you should always always have uh you know absolutely no shame in, in promoting yourself and promoting these books because it is a it's a huge journey to get to this point and you know what the, who, who knows what might lie beyond this book and let's talk about this this idea now helen it, has it been optioned are there, are there conversations about this being turned into some sort of visual feast well lots of people who have read it and um i think i think perhaps you do need to kind of get further into the book perhaps to be a little more aware of it it, it is it is a book that i think or a story that works quite well visually i i mm. think that myself and i don't think that of everything that i've kind of put put to paper um and lots of people have said you know I, in fact one review said if it doesn't get turned into a film i will eat my hat and i thought <laughs> oh i wonder if she's got a massive um fleecy woolly hat or if it's just a <laughs> tiny one that's just made of sweets <laughs> yeah also whenever i see whenever i see that i'm like who wrote that comment oh mr s spielberg excellent news <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but it is it's very the way you write is very visual and in fact that sort of connects with another theme of the book which is the uh, and a theme of your life which is the rnib you've got a character mm. here um who is blind and obviously when you're working at the rnib audiobooks in fact i've been in myself to record audiobooks there it's a it's a huge part of um of, of what they do and what they offer and of course that's where you used to work as well so has that informed you writing this book in some way i think it must have i mean louis louis is lovely and um even if i've had um a review where um somebody wasn't like maybe the book wasn't their cup of tea but they can't help loving louis and yes. um, louis is a, a character that i'm really really proud of now i was kind of proud of him anyway but I was interviewed by um, Red Sail at, um, at RNIB and I was really, I felt really proud because he said it, it was one of the most authentic blind characters that he'd ever read. And right. I felt, I was just, you know, really moved by that. And um, so I, because he's not sentimentally written and um, he is um, quite a character, but he, and he happens to be blind as well, which does impact um him and his life obviously um mm. but it's not kind of uh, i tried not to make him too sweet or anything yes. um he's quite sarcastic and he's very clever and he's and he's funny and he's good looking um but and he's um yeah he plays quite a big role but i think that the reason perhaps he comes across quite well is because i worked at the rnib so i had friends who were blind or partially sighted and he is based on um sort of two or three characters that i worked with um, kind of amalgamated and right. um, not naming any names before you ask me. And, okay. <laughs> <laughs> off air, um, off air. Okay. <laughs> exactly. But um, I, everything that I wrote about Louis were, you know, they're, they're quotes really or things that, conversations that I had had with um, one or more of these um, people that I worked with. Although Louis did come to life by himself and he, he would say things that, you know, I, I wasn't expecting sometimes. There's a part in the book where she, uh, Faye is doing an experiment. Faye had, has my job that I had at RNIB and she's doing an experiment with Louis where he has to wear a pair of rubber gloves and um, sort of feel the bust of Mozart or Bach or something. Um, and that's an experiment that I actually um, did. And um, so I, I think my experience at RNIB definitely informed Louis because it made he was just like a friend I was writing about. I didn't have to research it, and so it probably yeah. came a bit more naturally. The only thing I really researched for that book was Eddie's character because I didn't know what it would be like to go from being in finance to being in the clergy. But I do have yes. a, a girlfriend who did that, so I, I interviewed her to um, 
Well, when I say interview, I mean we went and drank loads of coffee <laughs> while she told me stuff. Helen, it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on Space Opera. This is uh, it's hopeful, it's touching, it's it's, uh, it's good. I mean, this is a cliche that's trotted out too often, but it's a good life-affirming read. I really, really am Thank enjoying you. this book. And uh, congratulations again. Space Opera is out. And that's all we've got time for on the Magic Book Club podcast. Head over to magic.co.uk as ever to see the rest of our February picks and join the club. And in the meantime, happy reading. See you next time. Bye.